0: The longer and slower events get, the more athletes seem to thrive on a combination of hypotonic drinks and, and solid foods. As events sort of get towards the shorter and faster end, but are still maybe going on for several hours, athletes will tend to gravitate, some athletes at least will tend to gravitate more towards, say, hypotonic drinks and gels and get on okay with that. That triathlon
1: so 191. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of that triathlon show, the podcast presented by ScientificTriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Andy Blow, founder of Precision Hydration, and this is the long-awaited hydration Q and A that I've been asking for questions for in uh, for quite a few weeks. And Precision Hydration have also sent out a call to action for questions. And we did both get in a lot of questions which we are very grateful for. They were uh, great questions and uh, we did manage actually to pack in all of the questions that we got in the episode and answer all of them. So hopefully if you did send in a question you find the answer useful and it will help you in your training and racing. Just a very brief introduction of Andy in case you are not familiar with him. Uh, he is, as I said, the founder of Precision Hydration and also a former elite triathlete. He now races quite a bit of swim-run events when time permits, and he has been on the podcast a few times before. Uh, episode forty-nine was on hydration Q and A. Number twenty-seven was on cramping, and training for swim-run was in episode number one hundred twenty-six. Those will all be linked to in the show notes. Now, big thanks to our sponsors. And of course, one of them is Precision Hydration. And you can find them on precisionhydration.com. And uh, honestly, just listen through to this episode and you'll hear more about what they're about and what they do, how they help athletes perform with uh, electrolytes and uh, hydration uh, products and advice as well. Uh, so you can use the promo code that triathlon show as usual to get your first box or tube for free. But also, as uh, Andy will mention in the episode, we have a special uh, discount valid for one month from the date of this show being released. That is That Triathlon Show 20, so That Triathlon Show two zero, to get 20% off your entire order. So this is a good time to make a larger order of precision hydration product. Thank you also to Roka, that are the world leaders in wetsuits, trisuits, and high-performance eyewear. An example of uh, the type of innovation that you'll find in their products and uh, in their eyewear and in this particular case that I want to talk about, goggles in particular, is uh, the angling of their lenses on the R1 swim goggles. While traditional goggle lenses look straight down, that doesn't really help you see in the direction that you're actually moving. But the R1 lens actually has an 11 degree angle to the lens that helps you see forward and get a larger peripheral peripheral vision. So it means that you don't have to lift your head as much when sighting. And it also means that you can see feet and see bubbles out of that peripheral vision more easily when following feet. So that is a great advantage. I really love the R1 goggles for open water swimming and racing in particular for those reasons. So you can get 20% off the R1 goggles and actually your entire order when you do your shopping of roca products on roca.com all right let's get into the q a with andy blow welcome back to the show andy
0: yeah good to good to be back michael how are you
1: i'm pretty good Uh, a bit tired from traveling back from a race but uh, excited to get into some uh, really good hydration questions that uh, we've uh, received both on, on my end from the listeners and uh, you've sent it out to your to your newsletter as well, I think, and and have a lot of questions that you generated. So uh, so let's just crack on with this Q and A. Uh, the first question is from Kate in New York. Who I'm going to shorten some of these questions a little bit, but basically she asks uh, about how to rehydrate when you're doing evening workouts to prevent headaches and cough cramps when sleeping at the same time you don't want to go up two to three times per night to pee and her second part is how to best preload for races do you want to cover the first part first like rehydrating from evening workouts but not getting up too much to pee during the night
0: yeah definitely that's quite a common question with people who have to train late and uh, i think although she's asked about rehydration part of the part of the strategy there if you're training late in the evening is is to make sure you go into that session well hydrated so making sure that you've had a decent drink preferably something with some electrolytes in it um in the in the couple of hours before the session that will then obviously reduce the amount That you've got to drink during and afterwards which then has a knock-on effect to to stopping you get up during the night but but on rehydration specifically the science is is actually it's one of the few areas in hydration where the science is really really clear and basically the more the more sodium you put in a drink for for rehydration purposes the better your body tends to hold on to it and retains it um so so really we'd, we'd advise someone like that to have a maybe a smaller volume of a higher strength electrolyte drink something above a thousand to fifteen hundred milligrams per liter of sodium in order to to make sure that whatever they're drinking they're holding on to and not and not getting up in the night to wee out
1: and and how much do you think that they would like to rehydrate let's say that uh, that it's a one hour pretty hard indoor bike trainer workout what, what would be a good amount if you go into it hydrated and you you have maybe 750 mils of, of fluid during the workout how, how much is it do you need to, to rehydrate after the workout uh, as as with
0: all these things it's always hard to give a, a, a generic recommendation where things are highly individual i would say the range though is going to be between sort of three or four hundred milliliters if someone's a light sweater up to getting close to one litre if they're a if they're a heavy sweater but I would, I would advise I would say you know middle ground five six hundred milliliters something like that for most people if they've worked out pretty hard if it's a sweaty workout um, if they, the the body cannot really most people struggle to absorb much more than about a liter per hour so assuming you're kind of finishing the workout um having some food having a drink and going to bed then it's going to be largely unproductive to drink much more than a liter in most cases because you you are going to end up peeing that out anyway
1: makes sense and the second part of the question uh, kate writes that uh, i had toe cramps despite having a scratch drink in my water bottle in a recent half marathon it was not terribly hot but it was humid uh in terms of triathlon she races uh, sprint triathlons and she has often felt dehydrated on the run but haven't had any cramping issues she writes that she is a heavy sweater with sweat usually burning her eyes on the bike and and run so uh, that part is uh for preloading for for racing i guess how would you advise her to to approach that
0: yeah that's that's a very common question is you know how to because people realize that it's a good idea to start an event or a hard training session hydrated and the typical way that i guess most people initially go around that is just upping the amount of water or upping the amount of sports drink that they drink in the build-up and we you know we've done a pretty comprehensive blog on on that on our website which i'll i'll link you to called how to start hydrated but really what it comes down to is a bit like the rehydration thing for pre having extra sodium in the drink so something that's at least a thousand or fifteen hundred milligrams of sodium per liter um, but a relatively sensible volume so we would usually recommend between 500 uh, milliliters and 700 milliliters before the event in a couple of hours before the event helps you to absorb and retain as much of that fluid and sodium as possible without without making it slush around in your stomach or without making you feel like you need to to pee it out so that would be the that would be the place to start and not just pounding lots and lots of extra water because that can be counterproductive
1: all right perfect the next question is from Pat. i don't have his location but he writes i never seem to need to drink much fluid on the bike or when running I approximately drink 500 milliliters of a carbohydrate drink every two hours and I very rarely have anything other than clear pee. If I try to drink 500 milliliters per one hour as often recommended I end up peeing all day. I pee quite regularly anyway about once every couple of hours on any given normal day. Is there any benefit to me forcing more fluid down per hour when training or racing?
0: I would say this is probably a fairly short and sweet answer to Pat's question, which is that un, no, um, if if what he's doing works for him, you know that's that's a relatively small amount of fluid consumption for an endurance athlete per hour, two hundred and fifty milliliters, in my experience. But it's not unheard of, and if he's he doesn't say specifically, but you'd expect Pat to be someone with a relatively low sweat rate. If he just if he doesn't require or doesn't seem to require as much fluid as as the average or as as what other people recommend then he should stick with with what he knows if it's working for him i
1: think it's all good right and uh, the next question is from michael liberson past guest of the show in uh, canada who asks about uh, sport drink osmolality whether it's important and uh, what to consider when selecting a sports drink or how to consider osmolality when when selecting it and he uh, goes on to write about uh, how he's heard uh, people recommending that the key role of fluids ingested may be to replace fluids lost rather than act as a vehicle for carbs and electrolytes and therefore having an isotonic or slightly hypotonic solution in these fluids might be the best from that perspective uh, because of better fluid absorption. Uh, That would be the, the theory anyway, and the theory also would be that a hypertonic solution would draw fluid into the gut which would cause GI distress potentially, and also not being as effective at, hydrace, at hydrating the athlete. So what's your take on this? Uh, what uh, what do we know about about osmolality? And, and you g- go on and explain osmolality as well for those that are not familiar with it.
0: Yeah, for sure. We can start with that. I mean, osmolality really, it, in very simple terms, is the amount of solute or the amount of stuff that's that's dissolved into a solution. So the more stuff you put into a, a drink bottle other than water, the higher the osmolality goes. And if and it's important because the osmolality of your the the relationship between the osmolality of the fluid that you're drinking and the osmolality of your blood dictates to a certain extent how effective that drink will be at delivering fluids, electrolytes and carbohydrates into your system when you're sweating and working. And really, you can split sports drinks into three broad categories. You've got hypertonic sports drinks that are very heavy on nutrients or calories or or whatever. They've got a lot of solute in them. And they would typically be the kind of things that are very, very good at delivering energy quickly. Um, because if you put quite a lot of carbohydrate into a sports drink, obviously you get a high calorie count in it, and it and it delivers lots of lots of calories, but they're less effective at rehydration. So the the example I often use for people that would understand a hypertonic drink that athletes use all the time would be flat Coca Cola. It's about ten or twelve percent carbohydrate. People drink it when they're feeling low on blood sugar normally, and it's very effective at getting energy back in the system, but as he points out because it's a very high level of osmolality it's, it's less effective at purely at re at, from a rehydration point of view then if you go if you step down in osmolality you you get to isotonic drinks and isotonic drinks are supposed to be a very similar osmolality to blood so these were the, the the typical drinks in this category are the classic sports drinks like Gatorade and Lucozade and Powerade, the ones which contain a little bit of carbohydrates, so a six seven percent carbohydrate solution, a little bit of electrolytes, and, and obviously lots of water. And these, I like to call these the Jack of all trade sports drinks. So these were originally designed to replace some energy, some electrolytes, and some fluids, and um, are, are actually you know good for athletes who are maybe doing short and fast or intermittent sports where they don't have particularly high requirements for hydration specifically or energy specifically but a little bit of a top up when they when they're doing what they're doing is is useful these can these can go a little bit wrong though for endurance athletes who are doing long hot races in the heat because if you try to get all of your fluid needs from a very what is a relatively syrupy carbohydrate mix it can cause those GI issues and make you feel a bit sick after a while make you feel bloated and nauseous on the the lower end the
1: hypotonic can you can i I interject there why why is that if they are isotonic why do these drinks still uh, bloat you and, and make you feel feel sick potentially i think it's because it's for
0: two reasons one it's it's if you drink a very large volume volume of them to compensate for high sweat losses there was a interesting study in sweden or switzerland actually sorry i think a few years ago where they took a load of Commercially available isotonic sports drinks, either powders or premixed drinks, and, and mix them up and measure the actual osmolality of them. And most of them were, in fact, slightly hypertonic and not actually isotonic. So they tend to be a little bit thicker than than they need to be anyway. That's a sort of quirk of product labelling because I think in order to classify a drink as isotonic, it technically doesn't have to be fully isotonic. So they can stray into being a little bit strong, and just consuming a large volume of them, um, you know, they they contain a hell of a lot of sugar, or and and that is what that is fundamentally what kind of bungs up your gut after a while because you can't absorb it fast enough in order to to you know as fast as it's going in, it's not being absorbed, it's backing up in your gut and making you feel a bit a bit sicky. It's it's why a lot of people will find that watering down an isotonic sports drink, you know, like Basically, putting fifty percent more water in them makes them more palatable in hotter and longer events
1: mm, yeah, that makes sense, and then I think you were about to go on to hypotonic drinks yes, indeed, yeah so hypotonic drinks are basically um,
0: the, the they have the least amount of solute, and the reason that these are often the primary recommendation for longer and hotter endurance events is because when in those events the primary role of what's in your drink bottle is to rehydrate you, not necessarily to give you energy. They might give you some energy. So a good hypertonic drink either has a very small amount of carbohydrates, so 2 or 3% carbohydrate mix, or even some of them, you know, like the, the, the tablets, the effervescent tablets and whatnot have no calories, but they have relatively high amounts of electrolytes to replace what you're losing in your sweat because, you know, some people say, oh, well, you know, you can, you can just water down an isotonic drink to make it hypotonic, which, which is very true. But then you're also watering down a small amount of electrolytes into a minuscule amount. So a good hypotonic sports drink tends to have a little bit of carb or no carbohydrate and then quite a lot of electrolytes. And then that optimizes the absorption in the gut and um, hydrates you a lot better than just, you know, either just drinking plain water or drinking something with a lot more calories in it. The downside of those is obviously, to an extent, you've got to eat more calories if your energy demands are quite high. But that tends to be the, the, the strategy that we see work most successfully with with a lot of athletes once they get experienced at doing long distance stuff.
1: And why do you think that it works to to eat more calories? Because that would be like a gel would be would be very hypertonic. But but why does that still work when when your drink is hypotonic?
0: I think it's be- a lot of it's because the the more solid a food and gels are always an interesting one and I don't I, some people get on well with them some people don't I think when we talk about more solid food um, you know it certainly forms a a bolus in your stomach and then gets digested more more slowly it's I I'm not I'm not sure on the on the exact um, you know rate of absorption from with absorbing gels versus liquids but i know that from from practical experience that it, the, the the longer and the longer and slower events get the more athletes seem to thrive on a combination of hypotonic drinks and and solid foods As events sort of get towards the shorter and faster end but are still maybe going on for several hours, athletes will tend to – some athletes at least will tend to gravitate more towards, say, hypertonic drinks and gels and get on okay with that. But I think a lot of it comes down to personal – personal preference personal ability to to tolerate what you're putting in and potentially also some practice and training because there's a lot of evidence nowadays that the gut is relatively trainable and if you if you start to experiment and try different types of food and drink and gel combinations in training and get the body used to them you can you can sometimes get better results
1: yeah Uh, i actually have an episode on training the gut that i'll link to in the show notes and if you have something on your blog then we can link to that as as well as well Uh, absolutely just just one thing here that uh, michael asked in the question is that uh, uh, so he mentioned stacy sims who's also a past guest on the show and uh, the guys at scratch and that they argue that the key role of fluids ingested is to replace fluids lost rather than as a vehicle for carbs and electrolytes so so even the electrolyte importance there is sort of minimized compared to to the fluid replacement what's what's your take on on that statement
0: I think that it's yeah, it's still the role of electrolyte replacement in fluid balance for athletes is still is still contested and is still fairly um, open to debate in a lot of people's eyes. I think that it's be- it's because the reason for that is not because there's a right or a wrong answer. It's not that you know we don't need to take electrolytes when we're racing or we need to take lots of them. It's that we need to tr- we need to be aiming to replace them in proportion. Or at least approximate proportion to our to losses, because at some point electrolyte depletion and or sodium loss becomes a problem for the body you know so, um it, we know a lot from the world of medicine and from from the world of sports science to suggest that if you add sodium in with drinks, then you can maintain much better blood volume than if you just drink water alone or if you just drink a carb solution. So the the idea of replacing fluids when we're sweating heavily for many hours is ultimately to maintain blood volume. Blood's very salty and therefore it makes a lot of sense to to have an element of electrolytes in there. I think that the disagreement comes from the fact that, you know, some people's requirements are very high, some people's requirements are negligible, and therefore, you know, there's just not not enough research been done on on the individualization of this to, to come up with strong guidelines yet.
1: Mm. But even if electrolytes had no importance whatsoever for a particular individual with with low electrolyte needs, then having electrolytes in the fluid will, as you mentioned, then help with better fluid absorption because of...
0: Yeah, if you get it about if you get the mixture about right, we we talk about having these kind of three levers to pull when it comes to your nutrition program because basically your body, you know, when you're exercising for a prolonged period, needs calories, it needs water, and it needs some salt. And the proportion of those varies based on your output. It varies in on the temperature. It varies on uh, it varies a lot from person to person. So basically, having a handle on what kind of level of calories you you can absorb and and utilize the amount of fluid that you might be losing or that you can absorb and also whether you are a kind of low medium or high salt loss person those you if you have an understanding of those basic three variables you can then tweak them in training and in practice and in competition to to find out what the best ratio for you is i i learned in my racing career that my requirements for um, particularly for salt and fluid were very high compared with other people but my i could race for you know fairly long distances on you know quite a low to minimal carbohydrate intake so i always had to skew my intake a bit more heavily towards a hydration focus than than calories other people seem to be the other way around and uh, it, it just it just requires a little sort of playing with those three individual levers to find out the the best ratio for you
1: yeah perfect i think we covered that question so let's move on to the next one which is from brent in houston texas and he writes uh, that uh, my question has to do with proper hydration for children and younger teenagers Uh, they do triathlons that range from short distances that might last 20 minutes to an hour or so and uh, the question here is do you have any recommendations for hydration strategies uh, for these younger teenagers or ages 11 to 15 for these longer races that last up to an hour
0: yeah i think it's it's always an interesting one making recommendations for kids i've i'm a dad of two kids myself and i watch i'm quite fascinated by their uh, what they eat and drink because their kids are generally actually really quite good at being intuitive about you know what they need there'll be there'll be days when my little boy doesn't seem to drink much at all and then another day he'll be drinking loads and loads and it's all they don't they don't overthink it they just respond to their instincts and i think that while kids are especially while they're doing you know although up to an hour in the texas heat is a considerable amount of 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 exercise while kids are growing and developing and playing at sport like this, trying to over-educate them on these things is, is largely unnecessary and probably could even be counterproductive. I would, I would say the principal thing with kids is, is just making sure they've got drinks available and usually water, making sure they've got access to them in an easy way and letting them sort themselves out, you know, by, by listening to their instincts. If they're thirsty, they will definitely drink. If they're not thirsty, they won't and they should be left to a large extent to their own devices unless past experience with with certain individuals shows, shows anything different. I think that there might be some some things you could do in terms of informing good practice you know like encouraging kids if they they might not be aware that they're doing a, something strenuous later in the day and that they should they should potentially drink a little bit more in the build up to that and so it might be good to encourage them to do to to do some extra drinking before and make sure they've got drinks available during and after something quite strenuous but I'm not a big fan of of treating kids like mini adults in that regard I think that they they should learn to you know learn to trust their bodies and, and and go with their instincts quite a lot
1: yeah and and for like a one-hour race potentially the uh, thermal regulation of the of the core temperature might be more critical than uh, than the hydration so it's actually just pouring some water over you when you're when you're running or, or training whether you're a kid or an adult for those shorter races that's at Definitely. least for, for me i would I would rather take two mugs of water at the aid station and, and pour both of them over me and, and keep myself cool rather than drink it because I if I have hydrated, preloaded with hydration before the race, what's your take on that?
0: Yeah, I think I agree. There's definitely evidence to suggest that even if it doesn't, massively impact performance it can really impact your rating of perceived exertion and how you feel so you'll see it in the tour you know the the tour de france is on at the moment and you'll see on the mountain climbs that spectators will will often you know sometimes give the the riders drinks and the the riders obviously don't drink them because they don't know for sure what's in them but if they get given water they'll dump it over their heads rather than chuck it away because they know it helps them cool down and so uh, dumping water on your head is a very smart strategy in in shorter, faster events where, yeah, core body temperature is an issue.
1: Yeah. All right. Next question is from uh, Dom in uh, Luxembourg. And his question is, uh, doing a long-distance triathlon, I use uh, precision hydration products, the pH 1500. Uh, the question is, should all my fluid be uh, precision hydration mix with, uh, or, or should... Wait, I'm trying to make sense of this question. Uh, my other fluid is my gels dissolved in water and it's essentially my fuel. Uh, and if all fluids should be precision hydration or even half being only precision hydration and the other being pure water, uh, what is the easiest way to carry the powder to mix it on the course uh, with the supplied water? Uh, would, it, would it be tabs or the, the sachets or what would you recommend? Well, uh, so let's, yeah. let's cover that.
0: For a start, I think that I would not usually recommend that athletes drink exclusively one thing during competition – if I'm if I'm doing a race, will, a long race, especially, I'll I actually you know use the pH fifteen hundred myself because I, I lose a lot of salt in my sweat. But I'll always have a bottle of water available as well because as you get deeper into the race, your taste buds start to tell you whether you want something which is a little bit salty, which might indicate that you need to replace some more, or whether you just feel like drinking plain water. So I would say for sure, it, it's not it's not a, a one you, know, you don't need to exclusively use. Any one individual product the whole way through a race, it's probably smart to to mix it up with with some you know some water or even other other products that you pick up on course because that especially in a really long race that flavour fatigue can be quite um, you know can be quite off putting after a while. With, with regards to mixing drinks up though on on route, again I'm, I know that some athletes do that. I. I'm not particularly a big fan of it. What we recommend, we we have a product which is like a, a capsule product called Sweat Salts that are in a blister pack. They've got 250 milligrams of sodium in them. And I always recommend to athletes, if you start off on your bike in a long race with, in a long Ironman, for instance, with the bottles full of your preferred drink mix, once you start running out of that, you can put plain bottles of water from the aid station, and then supplement them them for electrolytes with um with the sweat salt capsules. And you just take a, an appropriate ratio. So, in, in terms of if you were trying to get around fifteen hundred milligrams a liter, you'd take three sweat salt capsules for every half liter of water that you drank, or thereabouts. And that that to me feels like a bit more of an efficient way of doing it, rather than trying to carry products and mix them up as you as you are going around, which can be obviously tricky and is certainly going to you know slow you down.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. That's that's also how, how I do it. And and one thing that that I might add is that having water in some of your bottles or using water at least is uh it's a great uh, safety net if you for example perhaps you you drink a bit too much of your gel mixture so so you might start to feel bloated at some point or for whatever reason maybe it's unusually hot so whatever rate of of energy consumption you've had that has worked for you in training doesn't work in, in racing and you start to feel that that you overdid it and uh, and now th- th- at this point then having some water might might ease that that bloating and that feeling of, of getting sick so so i think it's a good to have water as a safety a yeah. safety net as well agreed so the next question is from uh, in uh, switzerland i believe and uh, uh, her question is regarding gastric discomfort on the run she has completed three ironmans As an age group amateur in the female 55 to 59 category, her first Ironman was in 2017 and she recently completed uh, Nice in this year. Uh, She has used precision hydration all the time, except for during the events. Yeah, during the events, she actually supplements with what is offered once the supplies are finished. So a bit like we just talked about. Yeah. And uh, let's see here. She stopped pretty often on the run during the first year with some cramps, but they did not stop stop her from continuing. Uh, last year in her Ironman, at, uh, from 15 kilometers into the run, she had very severe cramps and was forced to almost walk to the finish. And uh, she thought that she had set off a bit too hard on the run from T2 uh, as she felt great off the bike, but perhaps it was also a training issue. Uh, this year however in nice she was very careful and didn't eat that much on the bike was very modest with the power output on the bike and uh, the heart rate was in control quite low for her she felt strong off the bike and into the run and uh, forcing herself to go slow on the run but then suffered cramps again at 15 kilometers into the run and also nausea and needing to poop she was able to finish the run by going very slowly Around seven minutes per kilometer instead of five thirty to five forty-five pace, and stuck to Coke on the run, which felt okay. She also had precision hydration salt tabs with a sip of water. So, uh, what would your recommendation be here to solve these cramping issues that that seem to to trouble Meg in her Ironman races? Yeah, so it it sounds like a, it sounds
0: like a tricky one because it's it would be useful to also know what kind of stuff she is eating and and what kind of how how much volume of of drinks she was consuming off the course and that's the thing i think i mean there's a lot there's a lot going on in there but the the bottom line seems to be that the the something in her sounds like more in her nutrition and hydration strategy rather than her pacing is is derailing these these races for her and it it would require a little bit of elimination Uh, or going through a bit of a process of elimination to find out whether she's either taking too much of, of some things or not enough of others and that's where i kind of would go back to that three levers analogy and we would we would want to understand a bit more about how much fluid is leg likely to need how much salt and how many calories, and then really simplify it down so that she's she's able to then manipulate those variables in in some longer and harder training sessions and maybe some some B races to try different strategies with you know more or less fluid, more or less salt, more or less carbohydrate energy in different forms to see whether that any of that has a positive effect because you know unpicking what's going on with a, a nutritional strategy that's that's failing can be can be quite tricky and sometimes you you're almost best drawing a clean slate and, and starting again with with you know like i say playing around with those three variables
1: yeah so so test test one at a time in in training and some b races yeah. and uh, yeah see what what starts working um yeah, yeah do, do you think is there ever a case of uh like this is an Ironman and you're never going to do a complete Ironman in training. Like to, to what extent does that impact on how you should test this? I mean, potentially you could actually go out and do a 180 kilometer ride and then just try running for, I don't know, 10 kilometers off it. And and maybe you might be able to see from that sort of really long training day, but still not a full Ironman. What is, what is causing this? If you use your, Race hydration and nutrition on the bike do do you have any any thoughts on that like how how you sort of simulate the 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 ironman race without being able to do the full distance in training
0: yeah it's, it's a really it's a really good question because it it's a perennial problem for people doing ironman it's like how many times are you going to actually put your body through that per year you can't do a full ironman productively i don't think in training just to shake out your nutrition strategy because it's going to leave you pretty broken and tired and not able to keep your training volume up. So when I was racing, the, the sessions that I focused on attempting to test things like nutrition and hydration plans were were, were ones where I would probably go something like half to two thirds of the race distance um, bike and run you know neglecting to do the, the swim first with with the end of the bike and a good proportion of the run at around target race pace so that might be something like you know 100 120k 100k ride and a um, you know a, a 25k run with with elements with large elements of race pace thrown in there and ideally you know simulating other things that are relevant on race day the position on your race bike a similar type of profile of the course similar weather conditions if you if you're lucky enough to be able to replicate some of those to the to the best of your ability and that that's that's probably as as good and accurate a test as you can get for then implementing your race day nutrition plan um, yeah. without having to do it in a race
1: yeah i was going to say that that you mentioned race pace there and that's actually something that can be quite important if she hasn't really tried her plan in in at actual race pace she it has been working well in in long uh, fairly steady endurance pace but maybe not at quite the even though the bike seems to have been a, a fairly easy one but but maybe running running is uh faster than she would have done her long brick runs in in training so so that might make a difference as well if she hasn't actually trained the nutritional hydration plan at at that intensity that that she's racing at yeah I,
0: i'd agree i think the intensity thing is really is really key because a lot of people do, you know, say that they're going to test out their products. So I'll test them out on a really long bike ride, or I'll go out, you know, go for six hours and do this. But if it's if it isn't at that specific intensity, that that really hard intensity that you'd be racing at, then you and if it's not at the if it's not in the aero position on the bike and all those factors that can influence you know, digestion, blood flow to the gut, that kind of thing, then you're you're not giving it a fair test. And and so making sure, I would rather see someone do a moderate duration but race pace test of what they're doing rather than do a long duration low intensity effort to test the nutrition
1: all right yeah so let's move on to the next one which is from uh, kathy in memphis who asks uh, uh, that uh, hi andy i love my long distance events but collapsed during an ultra in extreme heat and ended up on a drip in hospital last year a friend recommended the book waterlogged by tim noakes Having read the book, I wonder if I was overdoing it with my hydration strategy and not listening to my body. Where do you stand on this drink-to-first tactic that Tim Noakes advocates?
0: Yeah, that is that is a good question because the, the book Waterlog definitely sh- shook up the, the kind of sports science, sports nutrition world a few years ago. And, and the, the basic premise of the book from Tim Noakes, because Tim Noakes was the um, doctor and the researcher who was behind really uncovering the growing incidence of hyponatremia in in sport where athletes have actually got into a lot of trouble and some athletes have died in fact from over drinking and diluting their body sodium levels and he he sort of pins the, the blame in the book on the sports drink industry for advocating a more is better approach to hydration uh, whereas 100 years ago or e- even less than that we used to recommend or athletes were recommended not to drink very much nowadays or certainly in the in the 1990s and and around then, it was very common for for um, coaches and sports scientists to recommend athletes should drink a lot. And then ultimately, this led to this sort of epidemic of hyponatremia. Now, Cathy um, doesn't say for sure whether she got hyponatremia, but... If she she intimates she might have been overdoing it with with the drinking, and I would definitely say that certainly in longer events, an element of drinking drinking to thirst is is really important, or dr- or listening to your body because you don't just want to keep piling fluids in when you're not feeling like you're needing them or absorbing them. The actual view that Noakes takes in in his book is quite extreme in that he advocates only drinking to thirst and only drinking water, which. Which you know, based on experience I've had with other athletes, is is also probably not an adequate enough plan. Um, but uh, so I prefer a blended approach where you have a, a, a hydration strategy or an outline plan that you're going to follow based on some trial and error and some research you've done on your own body. But then on the day, you you also do rely to an extent on instincts and thirst because that helps to prevent you from overdoing it.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's uh, analogous to how you would go about like pacing in a race. That uh, you wouldn't go into a long distance, or for most a-tubers anyway, you wouldn't go into a long distance race, especially without having any sort of idea what your sustainable pace or intensity might be. But then, equally, you wouldn't go in and saying that I'm going to hold 197 and a half watts on the bike or something like that. You you would have sort of a range, and then then move within that range that you know would be possible and sustainable depending on how you how you feel on the day
0: yeah i think it's a perfect analogy it's it's the it's a case of having guardrails to work within but not treating them as a hard and fast rule basically yeah
1: yeah all right next question is from devon in texas who asks i hear sodium mentioned a lot when it comes to hydration but what about the other electrolytes like potassium and magnesium are these important ingredients to look for in a sports drink?
0: Yeah. Um, so the reason sodium is mentioned a lot in hy- from a hydration perspective is because your sweat comes from extracellular fluid in the body, and the predominant electrolyte in extracellular fluid is sodium. So it's the one we see the largest amounts of in sweat. I think sweat um, the electro- sodium accounts for about ninety percent of the um, electrolyte component of, of most people's sweat so potassium is uh, an important electrolyte in the body as is magnesium but, but potassium is the predominant intracellular electrolyte so although we need to replace some of it because we do lose small amounts in sweat predominantly that comes from the diet so most sports drinks if they're if they're composed well will have a high proportion of sodium and a small and might have a small proportion of things like calcium magnesium and potassium and the evidence behind the replenishment of those to replace what's lost in sweat is is weak but but there also seems to be little downside to to replacing some of them as well. So I think that's why they end up on the ingredient list of most sports drinks.
1: Okay. And then we have uh, Steve from Richmond who asks, uh, I'm a 50-something triathlete and my own performances have inevitably declined with age, which is something I'd imagine a fair few of your listeners can relate to. With age, I find myself having to answer the call of nature more often nowadays, and it got me thinking about how much I drink when I train and race. Should I be changing how much i take uh, how much fluids I take on as I get older uh, so yeah, there we go. How should hydration change with age
0: the The evidence around what happens as we get older is is that hydration is a bit more of a challenge because you because of a few reasons firstly thirst instinct is blunted a little bit as you age so maybe if you are relying on instincts then they're less trustworthy so it might be easier to start to become dehydrated before you know to correct it at the same time like um, Steve said you can get um, a weaker bladder which means you pee more which which leads to losing more fluid and also as you get older you tend to lose muscle mass and and in your, your in your muscle cells is where your body stores a lot of water so you've kind of got less of a reservoir of water on board when you start so all of that means that hydration can be a bit more challenging as you as you get older what we usually recommend for athletes in that scenario is maybe using a slightly stronger electrolyte drink when they are racing and, and training especially if they're sweating a lot because they because that will help to them to to absorb and retain more of what they drink and also paying particular attention to to preloading before exercise so they're starting really well topped up so we've actually got we've actually got a blog on on older athletes and hydration needs which i can which we can link yeah, to definitely. to to go into that in more detail yeah
1: yeah and that, that's interesting with uh, how how your perception of first changes as you age and that i guess is another reason that the complete drink to first argument uh, isn't necessarily the the best one uh, so yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, we have uh, Raj from Leicester who asks, uh, I recently did my first Ironman 7.3 and I got terrible cramps on the bike at about 70 kilometers to the point where when I jumped off the bike to start running, my upper legs were locking with severe cramp. I take sole tablets and tend to take pre sole tabs on the bike, but this is the second time on a longer distance ride that I've had these problems. Uh, I just don't get them when training and I have been training very hard and uh, rode uh, right on point speed wise for for the race could this be hydration related
0: yeah the cramps as as we've discussed at length before cramps is such a such a tricky one to to diagnose we we know that there's lots of different reasons why cramps can happen you know electrolyte the electrolyte dehydration theory of muscle cramping is is not is not strongly supported by lots and lots of really great scientific evidence but it has masses of anecdotal and circumstantial evidence behind it and so it's uh, it's often a good place to start looking if if cramps are happening later on in endurance events and trying things out because the the downside of trying to you know manipulate your hydration plan to see if it it helps is is relatively small and the upside can be massive when when he says he's taking three salt tablets on the bike if that's three salt tablets across the whole of a 70.3 bike ride and that's but if he doesn't specifically say, but if that's all of the electrolytes he's taking in, then that's a relatively small dose. And that's what we sometimes see with people who say, oh, well, I've, I've, I've been getting cramps and I've tried taking electrolytes, but they don't seem to help. And then what you have to look at is, is the dose. Now, a typical electrolyte, a typical salt tablet might have 150, 200 milligrams of sodium in it. So if, if it was on the upper end, that's 200. He's, he might be taking 600 milligrams of sodium over, let's say, you know, Uh, two to three hours on a on a a middle distance triathlon that's a really quite a small amount so one one place we'd start to look with a case like this is okay what happens if we if we tweak up the amount of um, sodium and fluid that he's able to consume on the bike does does that play a role the other place to go looking in this scenario is is intensity because we know that when you ask muscles to do things they're not brilliantly trained to do they can complain and cramp as a result so to making sure that he's done enough you know race intensity rides on his race bike that that kind of thing is also going to be important to try and rule out fatigue as a primary cause of the cramps
1: yeah regarding that dosage if if they are 200 milligram salt tabs that he's taking and he's getting uh, 600 grams of of sodium for the 7.3 bike and that would be Let's call it three hours. Then, then that's only 200 milligrams per per hour. When potentially, as we discussed before, the range of how much electrolytes you need might be he could be like a, somebody who needs 1,500 milligrams. So, so he's uh, yeah exactly. getting yeah, yeah. A, almost as a little less a tenth, a bit more than than that than his requirement. So, so yeah, there's definitely room to experiment with with more more electrolytes, more so more sodium there.
0: Yeah, for sure. Exactly. That's a good point.
1: Okay, so uh, next we have uh, Corey from Boulder who asks, uh, I usually drink a carb-rich rich energy drink mix on the bike during half and full Ironman events, but I want to get more electrolytes in to set me up for a good run leg as my next race is a hot humid, hot and humid one. Uh, can I just uh, mix uh, salt tabs in with uh, this energy powder mix so it's all in one bottle?
0: Yeah, we we get asked questions like this a lot about People seem to love the idea of, for whatever reason, of combining all their uh, uh, nutrition and hydration and electrolyte needs and everything into these homebrew one-bottle mixes of stuff. Um, And generally, I try to advocate against it because partly because of this, like we talked about in one of the early questions, osmolality, the more stuff you dump into a bottle, the higher the osmolality gets and the more challenging it becomes for your stomach to deal with it and your gut to deal with it. Uh, the other reason as well is that those three levers, you know, the calories, the the water and the salts, you in my opinion, you want to be able to pull those levers independent of each other. So if you are, you know, suddenly, if, if Corey feels like he's getting low on energy and needs more carbohydrates, if his if his main source of carbohydrate is what's in his drink bottle and it's got extra salts in there and it's all of his fluids, then he's just going to have to drink way more and then you can potentially run into the stomach issues thing so whilst it's not i would never say you know people do some some very specific things with nutrition plans like this and find that they work for them and if they do that's that's absolutely fine performance is always you know the best the best test in my view but if we're approaching this from a theoretical point of view i'd be saying to cory how about you know try taking the put some salt tabs with as a as an additional so washing them down with your drinks and then at least you can dial up and dial down the amount you're taking per hour based on how you feel it seems like a more flexible approach
1: yeah that, that makes sense and, and also that that brings uh, a question to to my mind uh that i want to ask that, that actually I, I thought of when we were discussing osmolality earlier and and that's uh, these new uh, energy mixes that we see from for example uh, the the martin like really high highly concentrated yep. uh, carbohydrate mixes so do you have uh, experience with those from yourself or from uh, from athletes that you've you've talked with about them and, and how do they work and, and how do they potentially fit into a, a race plan
0: yeah well th- things like the Morton ones are like a hydrogel where they start off as a liquid in the bottle and then with the stomach acid they combine into a gel so that you can allegedly absorb um more more carbohydrate in the via the drink per per hour or per serving without causing gi distress i think that the the sort of scientific evidence behind them isn't really there yet there's there have been some studies published i think uh, a couple of studies, at least one of which was fairly positive, one which was inconclusive, about how much carbohydrate they make available in the bloodstream, and and whether that can be utilised. So, uh, on a practical note, I've had a play around with them myself. Um, I found that they're. Uh, I was surprised at how palatable they were compared with how I thought they would be, given the high concentrations of carbohydrate. And I found it very hard to make a, a strong judgment on whether they were any better or worse than having a drink and taking a gel other than with the convenience factor of it all being in in one bottle so i think that the jury's out on them they're not they're they're certainly being used by a lot of athletes and there's some good performances linked to them but whether you can attribute the the performances to that to those specific products is a lot is a lot less clear
1: yeah. Okay. Uh, then we have uh, Miriam from uh, Bordeaux, France, who asks, uh, I read somewhere that you can prehydrate before a race. How many days before a race should I do that? And what should I drink?
0: Yeah, again, I think we touched on this one earlier, but the classic thing that that I used to do as an athlete and I've seen so many athletes do and continue to do to this day is get worried, especially if an event is a big one or it's going to be a hot race, then athletes feel the need to start drinking way too much in the the days building up. And actually, this can be quite negative because all it does is cause you to pee more because your body equalizes the amount of fluid that it's got on board. And keeps things level by by making you go to the toilet. So, we we would generally suggest what you obviously don't want to do for a, for a, uh, before a race is go into it dehydrated. So, making sure that you've got just a normal adequate level of fluid consumption in the days leading up is is good common sense. And then we recommend starting to prehydrate hydrate only um, the night before and the morning of the race because if you take on much additional fluid before that then you're you're going to end up peeing it out so usually we recommend a strong electrolyte drink something like the ph 1500 around about uh, 500 milliliters the night before another five or six hundred milliliters the morning of the race about an hour or 90 minutes before so that you can absorb it pee out any extra and then hit the line in good shape
1: yeah yeah that's what i do as well personally and uh, for me it seems to be a protocol that works Um, then we have uh, the no the penultimate question here we have two left so this is john from dublin who asks what's the biggest mistake that athletes make when it comes to hydration on race day i feel like i made my fair share of mistakes during the course of my racing career uh, whether it's dropping cups at aid stations forgetting to fill my bottles up on the ride or heading out on a long training ride without any money or anything to eat What, what do you think
0: or hydration mistakes on race day I would say kind of fall into two extreme categories one one would be following a an overly rigid plan despite what their body's telling them so um, and and that often leads that often can lead to overconsumption. I was certainly guilty of that when I was racing in that when it was hot I would I would start off with an idea to, you know, to consume, let's say, you know, for instance, uh, one bottle, 750 ml bottle per hour. If I felt like then my performance was declining, I might even um, take that up to uh, a thousand milliliters now. But then I would I would then stick with that rigidly, even if I was getting bloated and my stomach was filling up or or whatever. So sticking sticking with an overly rigid plan is not is not a helpful idea on the flip side though if you go into a race with absolutely no plan and they're just going to wing it that can that can be just as disastrous so it's 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 basically the extreme ends of planning it's like not not planning enough and just winging it or sticking to an overly rigid plan the best athletes the best performances tend to come from like we talked about with pacing and other things from a an idea some, and working within some guardrails that you've worked out but then listening to your body on the day and and adapting it as you go in order to get the best out of yourself yeah
1: and what about training because he mentions as well like going out on a long training ride without any money or anything to eat so so if we expand this question to apply to training as well is there anything else other than having a plan for uh, for training that comes to mind any mistakes
0: i think i think a lot of it comes down to being organized you know we we're all guilty of it to an extent but 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 one of the biggest things with with training is i think more athletes athletes are more inclined to show up less well prepared you're never going to be as well prepared as you are for every race where you've tapered and, and ticked all the boxes but at the same time if you're training in the evening neglecting to drink properly and or adequately during the day and thinking oh, will just you know stick a bottle on the bike when i go and that'll make up for it is is kind of a counterproductive attitude it's about just you know being organized preparing in advance and making sure that when you show up to a session you're, you're well hydrated and if you're then if you're someone who's training really hard and maybe doing two a day sessions it's it's about making sure your recovery from a hydration standpoint after the session is also yeah. on point
1: And finally, we have uh, Pete from Halifax, who writes, uh, I'm training for my first Ironman 7.3, and I'm still trying to get a handle on what to eat and drink during the race. A lady in my training group reckons she went a whole season using just coconut water to fuel her races. Is this something that you'd recommend? I'm not entirely convinced coconut water alone offers enough to sustain me, although she swears by it.
0: Yeah, that's it. quite an extreme strategy i would say um if it works for her that's that's all good but um i wouldn't anything which is which is oversimplified and quite extreme i would always be aware be wary of when it comes to nutrition and hydration advice i probably sound like i'm horribly repeating myself but this this thing for me of just getting it in athletes heads that you need these basically you you need these three things when you're racing you're going to need some some water you're going to need some calories and you're going to potentially need some salts or electrolytes and figuring out the the ratio and recipe of of those that you need given your individual outputs and the length of the race and the environment are is is the key thing to do um you know coconut water is often i mean i quite like drinking coconut water but it's and it's been marketed as a sports drink to to a lot of people but the composition is really odd for a sports drink it's it's really high in potassium and really low in sodium so it kind of makes no sense for replacing sweat losses um, it does have a little bit of sugar in it but it's it's i wouldn't know actually off the top of my head how much but i think it, from you know from having Um, drunk it myself i would suspect it's quite low on calories so it's unlikely to give you a huge amount of carbohydrates to sustain you so so really splitting those splitting those three things out and having starting to figure out okay how many calories do i think i might need per hour you know the the typical range for for most guys is going to be somewhere between i don't know you know 50 and 80 grams of carbohydrate per hour is a good starting point to to play around with how much fluid well you know kind of 500 to 750 milliliters an hour in normal you know not too extreme conditions is a good idea and then the sodium side of things it could be anywhere from a couple of hundred to to 1200 1500 milligrams of sodium per hour um you know they're they're the kind of three variables and then and then figuring out what kind of nutritional products or, or foods or drinks can help you meet those those numbers and trying it out is going to be the best place to start i think going for an extreme i'm only going to use x y or z Strategy Is yeah is i think i think so and,
1: and it uh, goes well beyond uh beyond uh, hydration and and even beyond nutrition i, I think with training in general like uh, extreme things i mean sure if it works for for somebody all power to them but but in general extreme recipes of whatever is not something that is the recommendation for for the person next to to that that person following the extreme approach.
0: No, we see it, we see it, don't we? In um, you know, in nutrition is a great field for it, where you see you know the kind of the really extreme um, ketogenic diets or just eating meat diet. Or in in equipment, it could be the running barefoot versus running in cushioned shoes argument. People get quite dogmatic about really extreme views and they and then they they pull out extreme examples of where something has worked or is perceived to have worked for an individual and it kind of gets extrapolated out as proof that this must therefore yeah. be the answer when actually it's a lot more nuanced than a lot yeah, a lot definitely. more individual and and, of, and are often a lot less simple to implement actually those 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 kind of really dogmatic and and um crazy sounding recommendations the appeal of them is it makes things very simple oh i just have to drink coconut water and i'll be fine that's that's the main appeal to that i guess to people is it's it's very it's very simplistic you can't really go you can't really get that get that wrong but but if it doesn't work for you then
1: yeah is it, is it is and I also think it's the appeal decision. of something that uh, perhaps is less used so then potentially it's uh, it's like a silver bullet that uh, that can really move the needle for you yes. but uh, but if there was something like that then uh, it would be used, and people would know about it it wouldn't be wouldn't be extreme
0: uh, exactly yeah. so
1: uh, <laughs> one one more follow up question on that you mentioned there are two hundred to fifteen hundred milligrams of sodium per hour, but often the units we use are also per liter of fluid so how much sodium you would put in the uh, in the bottle for example so is is the units how, how would you like use these different units like what, what would be your recommendation for uh, for how to how to use sodium would you generally stick to the per hour recommendation or per liter and then the, i guess how much you drink in general would dictate sort of how much sodium you take in
0: yeah, I think I that's think a really good point. Generally, I, I guess I prefer to talk in the per litre sort of range because it's important that there's a ratio of, of sodium to fluid because one of, the, one of the dangers of, say, using salt tablets, for instance, is that you can increase the amount of milligrams of sodium you take quite dramatically, but, but you, if you don't also take adequate fluids in with it, then you end up with a mismatch of concentration in the gut, which can make you feel quite sick. Um, generally if i'm talking about 200 to say 200 to 1500 milligrams you could you could say 200 to 1500 milligrams per liter but then the the absolute net amount of sodium will vary with the volume of fluid that you intake so 1500 milligrams per liter would be towards the the upper end of what i would consider to be you know wise to use as a strong a strong electrolyte mix for taking enduring training and competition, whereas you know 200 milligrams is going to be on the very light and weekend, and and therefore you know playing around with 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 the amount that you drink at those specific ratios. If you think you're someone who's going to require a large amount of sodium, then taking a, a more concentrated solution is probably better than just just randomly upping the the raw amount of sodium that you take and and then trying to guess guesstimate match the fluid to it
1: yeah perfect all right uh, that was all the questions covered thank you so much uh, Andy. it was uh, really helpful and uh, as usual i learned a lot and i hope that the listeners and uh, not just the ones sending in questions but everybody has learned a lot as well uh, so to wrap up uh, what's going on with precision hydration any news that you want to to talk about or uh, um, anything we should know about uh, what uh, you're up to
0: well we're keeping we're keeping pretty busy that's for sure um this the hotter part of the year in the northern hemisphere tends to do that for us at the moment um we've we've got um, in terms of sort of exciting stuff we're we're in the early phases of it at the moment but we are looking at new product developments at the moment they're not going to be anything that we can announce in the next few months but we're we're definitely looking at, at expanding the range of, of what we do from a product point of view which is quite an exciting thing to be to be getting started with we've um we've got we've grown our team at, at phhq now and and sort of related to, to this q a if anyone's got questions we've got now a full-time team who are you know answering athletes questions on hydration nutrition and and, and, um, and related subjects and they can get hold of james and the guys at hello at precisionhydration.com the, the email address or messages through any of our social media platforms and, and we've got a team you know waiting to answer the kind of q and a's that we've had on the on the discussion today so we'd love we'd love to hear from people on that
1: And uh, for the listeners that are interested in trying out your, your product, how can they get a hold of that?
0: Uh, I think the best way is through precision com through our website. If um, any of your listeners have not redeemed the, the code that we've got set up with you, which is all all caps that triathlon show, they can use that once to um, get a free sample of the precision hydration product. So you just put in that triathlon show in the coupon code and it will, it will give them a free item from our, our website. Uh, I, I, over and above that, we've also got another code which is going to be valid for one month from when this podcast goes live, which is that triathlon show twenty, which is two zero on the end, and that will give twenty percent off um, orders placed within that time frame. So if, if people have already had the free box and tried it and like it, and they want to top up, they can use that triathlon show two zero and and get twenty percent off.
1: Brilliant. Thank you so much again and it was a pleasure as usual talking with you and we'll have everything linked in the show notes so that people can find the blog posts and and have a look at the coupon codes and uh, and everything so so that will all be on scientifictriathlon.com forward slash tts 192 which will be this episode number. One nine two, you've been busy. Yeah, definitely. And and, and this doesn't include the first day episodes, which are numbered differently. It's just the Monday episodes. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Talk to you later, Andy.
0: Thanks a lot, Michael.
1: I hope you enjoyed that episode. As usual, you can find the show notes on thattraflonshow.com or go directly to scientifictraflon.com forward slash TTS191. Do let me know if you like this episode format, a Q&A format with a particular topic and an expert guest uh, to answer listener questions. I enjoyed doing it a lot, so I'll be very curious to hear your feedback on it as well. As mentioned, I'll link to all the previous appearances that Andy's made in the show notes and episode description. And uh, we also have links to uh, five precision hydration blog posts that are related to the questions we answered today. So you'll find them in the show notes and episode description as well. Finally, I want to keep reminding you that uh, I really appreciate it if you can keep spreading the word about the podcast. Mention it to your club members, your racing frenemies, your coach, and anybody you think will find it useful. And also, thank you for rating and reviewing. We are getting close to 500 global reviews in the iTunes and Apple podcast store. And I'd really like to hit that 500 benchmarks soon. So every review counts. We get uh, just a handful per month, on average, maybe 10 or so. So uh, yours really makes a big, big difference. Uh, One review that I want to read out loud here is from 462727472 in great britain who writes excellent podcast five stars i listen to a lot of endurance sports podcasts and this is the best for translating all the info out there on triathlon training and racing into simple advice for the age group triathlete highly recommended thank you for that name i won't read out your your name again but i really do appreciate it just as much as if you had a more normal username uh, it really makes a big difference so thank you and thank you of course to our sponsors precision hydration again those promo codes mentioned are that show all in word all caps to get your first boxer tube for free and if you've already used that you can use that traffic show 20 or if you're making a bigger order that triathlon show 20 and that's uh, two zero. That will get you 20% off your entire order on PrecisionHydration.com. And thank you to Roka, that you can find on Roka.com, that's R-O-K-A.com. And you can get 20% off your entire order with the promo code TTS, all caps. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.